Hello and welcome. You've tuned into the School of Ministry podcast. Paul is your Bible teacher today. He has years of experience as a pastor, seminary instructor, and more. Later, you will be given information how to reach us. If you have questions you would like addressed, let us know. Maybe you have a need in your life and want to know how the Bible gives answers that apply to us today. Feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson. So back to verse 5. But also... For this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Add to your faith what? Add to your faith virtue. For this very reason, because of what Christ has done, applying all diligence, supply lavishly, generously, not miserly, not in a shallow way. Faith is the ground in which our sanctification is going to grow. So in your faith, your initial believing in Christ, you need to lavishly apply all zeal to come alongside of what Christ has done and do everything that you can possibly do. Now that's what he's saying. Now somebody might say, well, isn't there assurance in faith? Yes, there is assurance in faith. And the one who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, as, and as we looked at last week, has every reason to be assured. So this is not talking about works. It's not talking about adding to your salvation. It's as a result of your salvation. If you know you believe, then the God of hope will fill you with joy and peace in believing. That's what he says in Romans 15, 13. And there can be joy and peace in just believing. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13, let me just read. We should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord. Because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. In other words, these Thessalonians who were relatively new Christians, they could know they were saved. They could be filled with hope because of the faith in the truth. That's the same for us today. Faith carries with it assurance. It's what we saw in Hebrews 6. In 1 John 5.13, very similar. 1 John 5.13 talks about these things I've written to you that believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. Believing can be knowing. Having faith can impart assurance. I can know I believe. And you can know you believe. By believing then brings about that salvation, that initial belief brings about the salvation and you can have assurance, but I don't believe that faith, that initial saving faith is going to continue to yield assurance unless there's an effort put forth. You're not going to have assurance unless you're seeing God begin to work in you and through you. You're beginning to put forth that effort your side. You may enjoy the assurance initially, but without putting your feet to the job, without stepping out, then you'll, you'll begin to waver. You'll begin to lack. You'll begin to walk this way to stumble. And so, really, that's why he gives the prescription here to diligently pursue the full supply of these things, the fullness of assurance. It's the product of that zealous effort to tap the full supply, the, the spiritual virtue. 
and lay it alongside of the full supply of God's gracious provisions. So in a very real sense, assurance comes to a believer who follows this prescription. What? What prescription? That we give all diligence to add to our faith virtue, to virtue knowledge. Let's look at that. These are the virtues. I said we have an effort to put forward. There's an effort prescribed. There are virtues pursued. We want to be looking after. We want to be going after these. So this is the kind of action that Peter is telling us here that requires that zealousness, that lavish zealousness in what we're doing. So I understand that attitude, but it's the action. So here's the effort prescribed, the virtues pursued. And what a believer needs to pursue in his or her life to bring about the experience of, of assurance is adding to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. We might translate it like this, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance or endurance. And in your endurance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. These are seven virtues that God wants us to go after. And these virtues, notice, and by the way, faith is a spiritual gift. You see, when you have trusted in Christ, He gives you faith, hope, and love. So now part of that spiritual gift that He's already put in you goes back to those exceedingly great and precious promises that have been placed in you. The things that the divine power that is given to us that pertain to life and to godliness through the knowledge of Him. He's placed within you faith. And now He wants you to build that faith, to strengthen it, to, to work it out. And so here's the idea that as we're working at this, these seven virtues, each one seems to be somehow embodied in the other. I want you to see how each one flows from the last. So in that gift of faith that God has given you, now these others are going to just flow. Out of faith comes moral excellence. Out of moral excellence comes knowledge. And so forth. Do you get the idea? So as we take a look at these... And we're not going to spend a lot of time because I think that, that you have a pretty good understanding. But I want us to see that what exactly Peter is talking about here. And the first one is moral excellence. It's the word aret. It's the word virtue. In classical times, in classical Greek, it stood for heroic and excellent actions. It was a term of heroism. It was a term of moral heroism. Doing what was right. Moral excellence. Moral quality. And it's usually used to refer to the proper and excellent fulfillment in going above and beyond. For example, a knife, if it cut well, and if it held the blade, it was said to have been aret. It was an excellent knife. Or a horse was aret if it was strong and fast. Or a singer. A singer could be aret. If he or she sang well. Sometimes the word came to mean courage. So sometimes it meant efficient excellence. Kind of that operative virtue. It never meant a cloistered virtue. In other words, we can't take our faith and 
Well, I, I've got it. And I'm not going to tell anybody. And I'm just going to sit back here and grow. and use. It's, it's never used in that sense. It's never used a virtue in a vacuum. But it's that attitude, that virtue, which demonstrates itself in life. And so he says in your faith, with all your heart, with all your mind, apply with great effort, eagerness, zeal, haste, the lavish supplying of moral excellence of your life. Now, is that the amplified version? <laughs> that's Paul's amplified version. That's kind of what that's, he's talking about here. So let me ask you a simple question. Where do we find the model for that kind of moral excellence? Where do we find the model? Well, the model is Jesus Christ who came into this world, became man, and faced all of the same temptations, all of the same difficulties, and more so. And yet, there was moral excellency. That's why in Philippians 3, you have that monumental saying by the Apostle Paul who lays down the pattern for believers' behavior. He says that I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's why he's telling us that. He's saying, I'm pursuing Christ's likeness. I'm pressing after those things. I'm going, the goal is to be like Christ. The reward is to be like Christ. The goal is the reward. Pursue Christ's likeness. Pursue excellence. That's what Peter's telling us here. Press on, push on. And some commentators have tried to say, well, it, it means moral energy. And it seems like some of, the, some of these commentators, those that write the lexicons, they seem to be a little bit afraid that it has kind of a, a static meaning. And it doesn't. It has a very outward, transforming moral energy, a power that performs deeds and excellence. That's the idea of it then add to your faith moral excellence, a quality of life, a spiritual virtue, the sort of holy heroism. You see, in the Greek language, they weren't worried about time like we are, past, present, future. Well, today we're going here. Yesterday we did this. Something they're not worried about. It's kind of action. The kind of action. Did the action start here and continue on? What kind of action? And this carries the idea of an action that starts at this point and rises, continues on, it goes up and up. As you're growing in your sanctification, if you're growing in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's that discernment. And that's the second of these virtues. Add to your moral excellence knowledge. Moral excellence can't happen unless it's based in a heart of knowledge discernment, spiritual insight. Hi, let me interrupt for just a moment and update you with some information. You can now contact us at schoolofministryresources.org or biblelandmarks.com. We also now live stream services on landmarkstockton, all one word, dot com or you can see us on Facebook at Landmark Missionary Baptist Church of Stockton. We look forward to hearing from you. We would love to send you information. So thank you and back to our podcast. The word knowledge means correct insight, understanding, 
truth that's really properly comprehended, properly understood, properly applied. You can have knowledge and not apply it. And that's why wisdom comes in. Wisdom is the proper application and the proper usage of that knowledge. So what we want to pursue is moral excellence, understanding that in our moral excellence there's spiritual knowledge, there's spiritual discernment, and we must know before we can live. We must understand how that we should conduct ourselves before we can conduct ourselves in that way. We've got to know that we need to live for Christ and what that means, what that looks like. And that's why moral excellence is dependent on what the word is gnosis, illumination, having your mind illuminated, enlightened, enlightened in the truth. And that involves diligent study, pursuit in the truths of the word of God. It means don't be lazy, we've got to get into the word. And now inherent in our knowledge is another virtue. Look at verse 6. In your knowledge, self-control. It's all bound up with true knowledge and true discernment about self and self-control. The word literally means in the Greek, holding oneself in. And in Peter's day, it was used of the athletes. The athletes of, of the Greek Olympics they beat their body into subjection, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 9. They abstain from unhealthy foods, from wine, from sexual indulgence. They kept themselves holy in the sense that they were after their athletic goal. Disciplined, disciplined exercises for the sake of athletic achievement. Controlling the flesh, controlling the passions, the bodily desires, rather than allowing yourself to be controlled by them. They held those things. And that's what this word means, self-control. Likewise, he says that as we pursue moral excellence, realizing that in our heart of moral excellence, there's spiritual discernment, and realizing that at the heart of spiritual discernment is self-control. Am I amplifying this a little too much? I'm trying to give you the idea that what, what Peter's saying here, by the way, just kind of a footnote that false teachers typically claim that they have secret knowledge, true secret knowledge. They know. They have all this knowledge. And what they say then is because they have this secret knowledge, it's released them from the need of self-control. They've reached this higher standard. They've reached this higher plane. They don't have to control themselves. They preached an indulgence, a license to indulge. They were greedy. They were exploiters. They followed their own lust. And Peter will say that in chapter 2. He'll tell us about that. And they restrain nothing. But Peter here is reversing that. He says any theology that divorces faith from conduct is heresy. And that's what he's laying out. If, if your life isn't changed and you're not living it, then there's something really wrong. And faith in that faith of moral excellence and in that moral excellence, spiritual discernment, and in that spiritual discernment, self-control, this is essential Christian living. That's what he's telling us. Controlling fleshly desires consistent with what I know about truth for the sake of producing moral excellence. 
You see, he's, he's laying one out and how it grows from the other. Virtue then is guided by knowledge, discipline, desire, and it makes the servant, not the master, of one's life. That's self-control. Self-control has been the one of the greatest of all of the Christian virtues. You know, I'm, uh, I, I've been studying our church history. And you can go to YouTube, Landmark Stockton. We've got uh, Lesson 12. And we talk about one of the virtues, one of the things that every one of our forefathers and all of those, they pursued moral excellence. They pursued a godly life. You know, sometimes we forget and we think, well, they had to have held to this doctrine and that doctrine and they had to believe just like this. But no, they pursued a life that was different, that showed Jesus Christ. And that was their always their, their main mark in a world that was going after lasciviousness, that was going after all kinds of self-indulgence, they lived a, a life that, where there was self-control. Well, verse 6, And in your self-control, perseverance. Perseverance is endurance. Would the, the best possible translation for Hopomian is patience. Or endurance in doing what is right. Never giving up to temptation. Never giving up to trial. Never giving up to difficulty. Never standing, never giving up to sin. The Christian life should be seen as that steady burning star. Have you ever seen the shooting star? You know, I mean, it's there in the sky for just a moment. Bright, there, and it's gone. That's not our Christian life. Our Christian life is the steady burning star that you can count. You could look to the North Star. You can see it's steady, it's bright, and it's continuous. That's what he's, That's the idea of it. It's that patient endurance. And the word hopomen really does resist kind of one word definition. There's no English equivalent. And the Greek uses the word Frequently, sometimes it's said to toil, to trouble, trouble that comes against a person, trouble that comes against his will, making life difficult, extremely difficult, extremely painful, grieving, shocking, even that brings the thought of death. It's the, that spiritual staying power that will die before it gives in. Have you ever known that kind of staying power? That strong, that resistant, that is going to stand, it's going to stay no matter what might come. Now we have, and we can see the essence of that characteristic in this great word, this great virtue. It's not the patience that will sit down and bow its head in a storm, let things pass over. But it's that man that stands and faces and stands firmly against the wind. It's been called kind of the masculine consistency under trial. It's been said that it always has a background in the word Andrea, which means courage. It's the foundation for right actions. It's the peace that happens in war. It's the calm in the tempest. It's the security in the plots. It's the quality that keeps a man on his feet, standing when the... Storms of life are assailing because beyond the pain it sees the goal. 
It sees where we're headed. It's resisting temptation. It's courageous. It's steadfast. It's joyous. It's self-control under pressure. It's resisting temptation. It's built on spiritual wisdom, pursuing moral excellence. Let me get through number five. And at the heart of this per, 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 persevering endurance is an add to your faith perseverance. Your endurance. Godliness. What a magnificent word. Used back in verse 3 as well, Eusebia. And it really means reverence. It's a practical awareness of God in every area of life. It's translated as true religion. It can be translated true worship. It has the idea of worshiping God. So you see how from our faith we've added all of these. It brings us to a recognition and a realizing who God is every day in our life. It's recognizing and seeing that God loves you and He provides for you when you sit down to take your meals. That God has just blessed you. That's the idea of it. It's the idea of a God consciousness. We understand that He is in control, that He is doing all those. It, it's prescribed as someone who worships, who has reverence, who adores God. In fact, the Jewish historian contrasts that with idolatry. This Eusebia reverence gives God His rightful place. I think this might be a good place that we stop. We're going to have to pick up and finish off these virtues. And I want to finish off the next two points. Because I think that in this, you will be encouraged in your faith. And what Josephus says, that Jewish historian, he's saying that worshiping God as He ought to be worshipped, that idolatry does just the opposite. So we are to pursue lavishly, zealously, eagerly, with great zeal, with passion, moral excellence. And in the heart of the moral excellence is a focus on the giver of life, God Himself. To sum up all that the Greeks said about this God consciousness, they said that the Word included all the rituals connected to worship. They said that the Word included loyalty to God. They said that the Word included respect toward God and everything that belongs to God. And it's included in that spirit of devotion to the will of God. In our closing, I want us just to think about how the Lord would have you to grow in your Christian life today. And part of your assurance that you are in Christ comes because you see Him working in you. And you recognize Him working in your life day by day. You recognize these virtues. You recognize, and, and because of what He's doing, it means we want to do it. We want to be zealous. We want to also put our effort in because of what He's already done. But if you do not know Jesus Christ personally as your Lord and Savior, you've got to begin there. All of this is just meaningless unless you are first in Christ. You must know Him as Lord and Savior. You must be established in Him. If you're listening today and you do not know Christ as Savior, we want to show you that today you can have eternal life. You can have life abundantly. You can have the precious, exceedingly precious promises that He's given. Maybe there's some of you. Maybe in this you recognize and you're looking at yourself. And you know what? Every day we ought to be examining ourselves. When we get up, say, what characteristics can I put on? 
for Jesus Christ. What do I need to put off? What do I need to put away? When you go to bed at night, do you lay down and you take a moral inventory of your life? I shouldn't have said this. Wished I hadn't have done that. Lord, help me tomorrow that I will strive greater. And we work zealously, eagerly to accomplish those things. Are you doing that in your Christian life? You see, as you do, and you begin to see God work because He comes along, you're not in this alone. He has given you everything that you need in life to pertain to godliness. And now these virtues flow from what He's already placed in you. These virtues begin to grow. And that's where our sanctification, our walk, our being set aside needs to grow. You cannot live in this world and be friends with this world and just live like the world and have assurance of your salvation. It's, it's just not going to happen. They just are incompatible. But when you're putting on the mind of Christ and you're putting on the virtues that we've just looked at, and there's more. There's much, much more. We're just beginning to hit the tip of the iceberg. And I think, Lord willing, if we have next week, you're going to see the beautiful zenith of all of these. How he does such great and marvelous things. Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the message. If you want to hear Paul in person and are in the Stockton, California area, we invite you to join us at Landmark Missionary Baptist Church, 301 East Alpine Avenue. That's near the University of the Pacific. He brings the Bible message every Sunday at 11 a.m. and other times as listed. We trust you've been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. If this lesson has sparked questions on this or other topics, please see our contact information in the description or email us at sclofministry at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.